Good morning, today's daf is daf kufhei. Today's shir is le'ilu nishmas Avraham ben Peretz. May his neshom have an aliyah, may his memory be a blessing. Um, to, it is also for a full shleimah of Chayachayk Bas Baba Michla. And Yitzchak Yudah ben Miriam, may they have a complete and speedy recovery. Okay, so um, remember yesterday we were in a discussion. I asked Avod Shmuel if a woman spits, well, they sent to Avod Shmuel as a rule that if a woman spits in Beisdin, she has to go through with the Chalitza, which the Gemara says, which tells us that she becomes apostle to the brothers. Now remember this, I have to uh, just, I don't know if I spelled it out clearly yesterday, but important when we say a Chalitza is Psula, we're saying that it's not a good chalitza to permit her to marry anyone else, but it's a good chalitza in regards to that now she has to do a proper, or to whatever degree she can, a proper chalitza from the brothers, and she's not allowed to do brothers. I, it is in some regards a chalitza. It's a chalitza that invalidates, but it's not a fully-fledged chalitza. So that's important to remember when we see chalitza, because we're going to see over the page there's going to be a little bit of a discussion of what's the effect of a katan or a katana's um, chalitza. Is it nothing at all? Or is it possible? Or is it invalid? Because so, normally when, in my mind, when I use the word possible invalid, it, it's nothing. You haven't done it. It's an invalid chalitza. But here where we say a chalitza psula, we mean it's not a complete chalitza, but it does poisel invalidate her from doing yibum to the brothers. Okay, so that's an important point to give you mind. So that's what they sent to Avodah Shmuldus. If a woman spits in Beisdin, her chalitza is a psula. We explained yesterday why we're discussing in Beisdin, but that's basically what happens. Out of the blue. Maybe the discussion gets heated, or she had some phlegm in her mouth, but she's fat, and now we go to, oh, has she, she's done chalitza to a degree. So the Gemara I want to do first say, it, it was discussing who the author is. It said it can't be Rabbi Akiva. Um, it made the tricky comparison between that and the Aimurim, where the, where the but it came out that according to Rabbi Akiva, spitting out of the Seder of Yibum should be totally inconsequential. I nothing. Not a Khalid Subsula, but absolutely nothing. So now the Gemara suggests, um, second last line of Kuf Dalai Lama Beis, 104b, says, Umiyoma Rabbi Akiva, Rekika Posla. Does Rabbi Akiva really hold that the Khalidza does not invalidate either brother, the, 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 the Yavoma to her brothers? But we learned in a Brisa. Now, this Brisa is interesting. This Brisa is complementary to our Mishnah. Our Mishnah taught the cases of where you did two of the three. Remember, there's, a, there's the Psukim. The removal of the shoe and the spitting. And our mission discussed if you did two of them, but not the third one in each scenario. So this Bryce adds on and discusses if you only do one of them. So he says, What happens if they, she just removed the shoe, but she didn't spit or say the, or they didn't say the psukim? He says, It's a valid chalitza. If she spat, but they didn't remove the shoe or say the tzukim, it is a chalitza psula. Again, an invalid chalitza, not a nothing chalitza, but a chalitza psula. Kara veloiraka kavalo chalitza, ain kan beis mechushmani. If she just, if they just said the tzukim, but she didn't say spit, sorry, if they just said the tzukim, but she didn't spit or do chalitza, ain kan beis mechush, there's no concern at all. 
Now, Manny, who's the author? We're on the fourth line of Kuf Hay Amud Aleph. Kuf Hay. Kuf Hay. Elaima, yes. Elaima, Rebbe Eliezer, Cholzov Lorokoko, Velokara Khalitsakshaira. If you want to say it's Rebbe Eliezer, well, if they just did Khalitsa without spitting, or without saying the Psukim, is it a Khalitsakshaira? Vaha Omar Rebbe Eliezer, we saw that Rebbe Eliezer holds. Where the Pasuk says, so shall be done, any, all the actions are essential. I, the actions that the woman does in the Chalitza process, removing the shoe and spitting, are essential. So when our Mishnah says, if they didn't spit, it's a good Chalitza, that can't be Rabbi Eliezer. It must be Rabbi Akiva. Oh, you're telling me it's Rabbi Akiva? But one of the lines that taught was If she spat, but she didn't do Chalitza and she didn't read, it's a Chalitza Psula. Now we have a con. Now this is the difficulty with Rabbi Akiva. Again, we suggested in, the, in yesterday's stuff that Rabbi Akiva holds if the woman just spits in Basin, it's nothing. It doesn't count for anything. But we see from this Brisa, which we've just proven must be Rabbi Akiva. That if she does a, um, a chalitza, if, if she just spits without doing any of the other parts, it's a chalitza psula. It does have an effect. So Laman. So who's that? Who's she? Who are we saying she's possible to? If you want to say it, that she becomes possible to the rest of the world. Well, there was no removal of the shoe, so what permitted her to the rest of the world? Ella to marry anyone else. Ella love, la achid, shmamina, it must be to the brothers. And we see clearly from here that Rabbi Akiva holds it is a chalitza psula. Okay, so now, so we do have this two versions in Rabbi Akiva. So now the Gomorrah assumes that. Uh, um, there's the Oraisa and Midrabonim. The Oraisa just spitting is absolutely nothing, and Midrabonim that invalidates her to the brother. Almost similar to. Oh, yeah. oh but then according to Rabbi Akiva, why do you make a distinction between spitting and saying the Psukim? Ah, we said there's a Xaira Drabonim that if she spits, it counts to poison her to the brothers. But there's no such Xaira that if they say the Psukim, she says this is what she'll be done to the man who doesn't want to uh, marry his mom, etc. And they say all the Psukim. Um, it, that is nothing. So why do they make the Xaira by spitting but not by saying the Psukim? So the Gemara answers, saying of the psukim, which done both at the beginning of the Chalitza procedure and at the end of the Chalitza procedure, no one's going to get confused. But spitting, which is only supposed to be done at the end of the procedure and not at the beginning of the procedure, they might um, get confused and they'll come to permit this Chalitza to the brothers. I, by reading the psukim, it's done at the beginning, before removing the shoe, and after removing the shoe. So if you see them reading the psukim, but you didn't notice her remove the shoe, you're just going to think, ah, that's the reading that's done before removing the shoe. But spitting is always done after removing the shoe. So if you see her spitting without, <coughs> if you see her spitting without removing the shoe, you're going to think, ah, I just missed the shoe being removed, but it must have been removed because you always only spit after removing the shoe. 
So that's the confusion. And therefore, what's going to happen in this case? A man's going to see this woman spit. He's going to assume, ah, she must have done chalitza. And now Beislim have allowed her to do yibum. We see that after chalitza you can do yibum. So that's the concern. And that's why there's exera by spitting. Okay, this was all based on what we said. They sent this halacha to avoid the shmuel. The Ikeda Omri, some say they sent a, a diff, slightly different halacha to Abu Dishmul. Hachi Shalkulay, this is what they sent him. Yevomoshe Rokot Tachlot, that if a woman spits, she then must do the chalitza, I remove the shoe, and she doesn't have to spit a second time. Kehi does the Kamid Rebiami, like the case that came before Rebiami. Haveyosi, Rebi Ababa Momo Kame, Rebi Ababa Momo was sitting before Rebiami. Rokoko. Mikmi the Tachlot, and this woman spat before doing the Chalitza. So Amaloi Rabbi Ami, Tigra. Let her just do Chalitza, and then the fight is over. Aye, we're done with, we've done the Chalitza. We don't have to, the whole procedure, we don't have to do anything else. Aye, we see very clearly, he held, Rabbi Ami was confident to say, ah, she spat, and then removed the shoe? That's a perfect Chalitza. Well, not in our deal, but once it's been done, that's perfect. Says Omar Lay Rabbi Amar Bahab Inan Merak says, but wait, what about the spitting? Again, if the procedure is that you remove the shoe and then spit, then spitting before you missed out the spitting. So he says, Horaka Kola. He says, Well, she already spat. Says, Ah, the Tayrok Umabakach. So, but why are you so adamant? Just let her spit again. Why she spat? And now you did Chalitza. What's the problem with her spitting again? No, at that, what, is it a negative commandment? Is it, you know? So he says. We're worried about the problem that could come from it. Why No, because if you say she has to spit again, you're implying that the first time she spat before the removal of the shoe, that the shoe was nothing. And then you're going to permit this woman who's actually done chalitza to the brothers. So what do we see? Actually, once she spits. And then removes the shoe. It's actually forbidden for her to spit again, because it will give someone this um, mis, uh, someone will misunderstand and say that the first chalitza, the first spitting was nothing. The first spitting and then chalitza is a valid chalitza. Not only that, the first spitting also invalidates her to the brothers. But if you're going to allow her to spit again after removing the shoe, people are going to think. At first, spitting was nothing. Of a hobbin and cathedral, doesn't it have to be in order? I think the Havamina is whenever we see kacha in the psukim, it has to be done exactly like it says. Like the Vaidas Yomaki Purim, you switch things out of order, you have to go back and restart to get it in the right order. Um, or go back to the stage to get in the right order, etc. Everything. And so to hear the Chalitza, it should be um, the removing of the shoe and then the spitting. So the Gemara says, no, cathedral Loma Akva. In order, the order is not essential. I think that is based on the drosha that we saw yesterday, that it says, yase, so shall be done. The actions are essential, but the order is not essential. Now, who Rabbi Abba thought that Rabbi Abba wasn't giving a strong answer, because where do we, and there's not a real good proof that, that it doesn't have to be done in order. Where, like, it's, it's a little bit vague to come along and say that 
to rely on that to say that it doesn't have to be done in order. So he thought that maybe Rabbi Ami was like just being dismissive, like I don't feel like chatting about it now. This is there's not like but actually he went and he researched it and he found the Brisa the Tanya that taught. Whether the chalitza was done before the spit, spitting or whether the spitting done was before the chalitza, what's done is done. Ah, it's a good chalitza. Okay. Ideally, you should do the mitzvah in the correct way, in the right order. But if it was done in the correct order, it is still a valid chalitza. Now the Gemara is going to bring a story about Levi when he got... Uh, Almost interviewed for a job. The Tosos Yeshanim brings. Uh, uh, let me just find it here. Was it the Tosos Yeshanim? Yeah, that this town came before Rebbe and they asked for. Uh, they said we need a rav. Who are you going to send? So he sent Levi. Now they put Levi up on this podium and they were interviewing him. They were asking a few questions to determine whether he was appropriate to be their rav. Um, and then there's a very important, as we're going to see, of the three questions I asked him, he didn't know any of the answers. So he went back to the yeshiva and he asked them the questions there and they knew, all the, they knew the answers. So it's quite surprising that Levi, this great, great sage, um, would not know the answer. So just, uh, yeah, let, let's read the first part and then I'll come back to Tosas Yeshua about why he didn't know the answer. He says, Levi, not thought Lecriosa. Levi went to this uh, village. Bominei, as we said, the village that was actually his interview, says, Bominei, Gidemes, Mahu, Shetachlot. They asked him, what's the halacha if a woman doesn't have any hands regarding doing chalitza? Can she do chalitza with her teeth, like take the shoe off with her teeth? Says, Yovomo, Sheroko, What happens if a Yovomo, instead of spitting spits, spits blood? Is that a good chalitza? And then a third question, now, they saw that he wasn't, you know, um, he wasn't able to answer those two questions, which the Marshall points out are halachic questions. So, okay, so maybe it's not so good in halacha, but in agarata, in explaining psukim and droshas, maybe that's what we would call a droshas. Sure, maybe that's what he's quite good at. So they asked him, says, I will tell you about what was inscribed with the true ksav. It was written in truth. You're telling me that Hashem sometimes writes things that aren't true. That can't be. Hashem would only ever write true. Does not Lo have a Levi didn't know the answer to any of them. So as a shol by midrasha, he went and asked in the base midrash and Amrulai. They said to him, "Miksiv b'chaltzabiyad." It doesn't tell us that the woman must do chalitza with her hand. I, she can use her teeth. Umiksiv yorkarok. It doesn't say that she shall spit spit. It just says she must spit. So if she, at the same time, she has uh, bleeding gums and she spits and there's some. Uh, Spit, it's fine. Rashi interestingly says, and we'll see this apparent, more apparent from the Gomorrah later on, that obviously because there's blood and spit mixed, mixed together. If she's spitting pure blood, then uh, that wouldn't be valid. But here, you get spit and the blood mixed together, so that's fine. And then regarding this last part, Lokasha, even that's not difficult. I, when you ask in the base measure, he says, what about, how do you explain this pasuk that says that I will tell you what's inscribed in truth? I mean, you're telling me that Hashem inscribed some things that are not in truth? He says, no, What we're referring to is gezeras, decrees that Hashem makes. If it's a gezeras with a shvur, then it's shal emes. If it's without a shvur, it's not shal emes. What does emes here mean? That it won't be undone. Jerry, Hashem might make a decree. He says, as things stand, chas shalom, X will happen. I'm going to punish X. But if a person of the community does tshuva, 
then Hashem will rescind the decree. But if it's a decree with the Shua, then Hashem won't take it back. He won't rescind it. So there's an MS. That's true. That, that what's inscribed there is true. It's eternal. That's the, that's how I explained the Tzukim. Just to go back to what I was quoting from the Tosfus Yashamim, the Tosfus Yashamim, he says, Mibnei, he says, why was he not able to answer them straight away? This that he wasn't able to answer them from the outset. He became a little bit arrogant because they gave him such honor. They put him up there on the podium and with all the dignitaries and they showed him this, their new rabbi. They placed him on a golden chair. And because of his arrogance... She has gone. Arrogance causes a person to forget what he learned. So because he had, to, they treated him with such honor and went to his head a little bit, he forgot what he learned, and that's why he wasn't able to answer these questions. Um, but uh, very important thing to bear in mind: the the cost that, and never mind the cost on uh, your relationship with Hashem and the relationship of your family, but even just the ramifications it has to your learning, or that that arrogance has to your learning. You realize sometimes you get caught up in something and on the simplest, you'll, you'll miss a simple detail. Which even a, a regular person or a, someone who hasn't learned, they'll ask the question or say, what about this? They'll be like, oh wait, I just forgot that obvious halacha. But that could be, maybe it could be you forgot it and weren't thinking about it carefully. It could be that uh, you, uh, you, uh, you, uh, I don't know, we're arrogant in regards to, ah, oh, I'll be able to answer the question, or, oh, I'll know how to deal with this issue. But that's a very interesting um, background to the story with Levi. Yeah, now the Gemara is just going to carry on with this discussion of these Shmuel uh, decrees. It's Kedrav Shmuel Bar Ami. Like we learned by Rav Shmuel Bar Ami, to Omar, Rav Shmuel Bar Ami, Rav Shmuel Bar Ami, Omar Rav Yechon, and I'm Rav Yechon, and I'm the Gzar Din, Sheishim, or Shvua, Sheino, Miskareh. How do you know that a Gzar Din that has a Shvua will never be torn up? Shemeimar, as it says. Now, this is the story by Eli and his son, so just a quick a recap of it. Um, Eli was the Shofet, the Kohen Kodal, the leader of the Jewish people in his times. This is right before Shmuel. Um, and. His sons were very evil. It's not so clear exactly what the Amperes were. Um, the Sukkim actually says they would, they were Kohanim. They uh, they forced Jews to give them shares of the Korban that were not due to them. They uh, delayed offering Korbanos. They uh, oppressed. It's, it, the, the Sukkim even say that they uh, slept with a married woman to kind of uh, coerce them into sleeping with them to offer the Korbanos. The Gomorrah says that's not uh, literal. They just delayed them by delaying bringing Korbanos. But they were really bad guys. And they were the Kohanim. So it actually caused people to stop going to the base Amidash. Because I'm not going to go to the base Amidash if I'm just going to be harassed and oppressed by these uh, Kohanim. Um, but that's, so that's them. So, the, so Hashem said regarding that, I took a shvur to the base Eli. That even through Korbanos, even through Korbanos, they, they will never receive atonement forever. So that's the, oh, we see that if it's a, Hashem took a shvur, and that's why they can't receive atonement even through um, says, Rabbi says, you're right. This, through Zevach and Mincha, they can't receive atonement, but through Divrei Torah, they can. 
Abaya says they can receive atonement through Zevach and Mincha. They can't receive atonement through Zevach and Mincha, but they can receive atonement through kind, good deeds, kind deeds, kindness. So we see that, again, the emphasis, before we carry on in the story, the emphasis is on, again, the Shvo, as Hashem says, they won't receive atonement through Zevach and Mincha, through Korbanos. Which the Marashal points out is actually fair. They abused their station and abused the Korbanos. They misappropriated Jews to, uh, not misappropriate, they uh, oppressed Jews and bullied them into giving them part of their Korbanos and they uh, delayed. So they, they lost their attachment for their ability to receive atonement through Kapora. But as we know, the famous Mishnah, what's it, um, the world stands on Torah, Vodog, Milas, Chasorim, Torah temple service and kindness, they still had the other two, Torah and kindness. Um, so so that's, uh, that, that's how the Marshal learns. He says that that's why they could receive atonement through Torah and loving kindness. This aspect, it's, it's discussed in detail, the power of Torah especially, and also the power of Milos Hasadim to receive atonement. We don't have sacrifices nowadays, so how do you receive atonement? When the Torah says if you do X, you bring a korban, or you transgress a positive commandment, we know you try to bring a korban ola. can't do that nowadays. How do you receive Thank atonement? You have well, you have to do tshuva, and how do you receive atonement then? So that's by learning Torah, doing uh, kind deeds, Milos um, Hasadim. I'm not so. I find this a little bit difficult, because we're saying that a shvua with a gzar din with a shvua, if Hashem makes a decree with a shvua, it can't be um, torn up, which we're saying implies can't be torn up through. If we're learning how I've explained it, can't be torn up through uh, normal means, a korban, but you could tear it up through extra learning of Torah or through doing uh, kind deeds. So I'm not sure unless by base unless we're saying by base Ali it was a, the 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 Xero was depend was that the shvur was through Korbanos that won't receive atonement but if Hashem takes a blanket shvur then it would apply to all three or are these or, or are these two Torah and Hasodim always exceptions that you can always use to get atonement it does it does seem like that okay but the Gemara carries on with the story Rabbi Abayi and base Ali Kasi Rabbi and Abayi were both descendants of the house of Ali. Now, Rabbi, Rabbi, who learned and put lots of effort into Torah, who delved into Torah, he got an extra 20 years. He lived 40 years. Abaya, who delved into Torah and did and kindness, lived 60 years. They seem to each of the aspects that they delved into gave them another 20 years. There was this family that used to, and all their males in Yerushalayim, all their males used to die around 18 years old. Um, so they came and told Rabbi Yochanan about Ben Zaka about it. Maybe they from the house of Eli. Descendants of Eliakim, because the Posuk says that they will die when they become men. So, I, oh, 1820, it says, Go learn Torah, go delve into the Torah and you will live. They went and they delved into the Torah and they lived. They used to call it, uh, the family took on the surname Yochanan, 
in uh, honor of Rabbi Yochanan. Uh, but again, we see this power of uh, um, <coughs> of uh, learning Torah to uproot even very, very severe decrees that Hashem's taken a shkua that he won't rescind. Omar Shmuel Bar Onya, Omar Rav, Minayel Exar Din Shel Tzibur how do we know that the din of a community will never be sealed? It will never be finalized by Hashem. A community always has a way out. So he says, says, what do you mean that it will never be sealed? The Apostle says, even if you wash it with amazing, amazing detergents, um, homo and vanish and all these fancy stain removers, this, your sin will still be like a stain before me. We see that. Um, we see that Gzardin, Hashem's decrees against the community, can be sealed. So, what it means is that even if Hashem has sealed the decree He's made against B'nai Israel, it can be torn up. As it says, Who is like our God who is for us whenever we call out to Him? I, whenever you turn and dive into Hashem, he answers us. So there we see the so power the of the tibur. Uh, well, here we see from as, as a community. Sorry, as a, it says, oh wait, wait, we're not finished with the sanctions. But Hoksiv Hashem It says you can only seek out Hashem when He's found. Hashem's not readily available, like the first passage says. Whenever we call out to Hashem, He answers us. But here, very clearly, it's only at certain times when you can. Meet, uh, call out to Hashem in your response. This is with an individual and this is with a tzibur. When also when so it's tzibur, a community. Whenever you don't and daven to Hashem as a community, he's he he will listen. Can obviously if it's sincere and uh, just of, just of deserving, but that's the um, principle. But in yochid, it's a very specific. Oh yochid, I must. So when is this? So Omar Rab Nachman, Omar Rabbi Barvur, Rab Nachman says in the name of Rabbi Barvur, Eila, sorry, Yomim Shabain, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippurim. These are the ten days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I would we call it Seresh Meitzvah from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. These are the times when Hashem is very, very close to us and readily available to listen to us. Um, but before, without coming on to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there's an amazing, amazing thing we see here. Whenever you daven in a community and whenever the community daven together. Hashem is as available as to an individual is on Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That's what it sounds like from this Gemara. So we think, you know, like there's some issues, you know, let's take the opportunity of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Should I actually take the opportunity of every time, maybe think about this next time you, I, I should, I'll think about it also. Next time I'm thinking about whether I should have in a minion or at home. When you daven with a minion, to a degree, you have the same power of a, of a connection and closeness to Hashem. And possibility of Hashem answering your tefillahs as a as the, the huge special factor of Aserish Shemayshuvah. Obviously, there's an added dimension of Aserish Shemayshuvah if you have the tefillah of the individual and the tzibur. But when we speak about the special opportunity of tefillah of tefillah, um, look at the special opportunity of tefillah b'tzibur. Yeah, I was wondering, is that even if you're davening for your own things, like in your silent amida and the guys next to you? But you're all davening together? Or is it when you're all specifically davening for the same thing? Not sure about that. But interesting, something to, but again, we see the power of Tfilah B'tibur. Shol The story of Ninvah. Hashem made a decree to destroy the city. Well, didn't Hashem tell them, tell Yonah to warn them that he will? 
or did he actually sign the decree? Yeah, but they all cried out. Remember, they well, they davened and did tshuva. Yeah. They davened and they did tshuva. They davened and they did tshuva. But I'm saying we don't see, we don't. I I don't know this. I don't remember the details well enough if he actually signed the decree, decree yeah. or not, and what was required to uproot it. But again, he's, we said here that a community can always uproot a decree. Although those, I don't know if that's Jews and non-Jews or specifically one of them. They asked him if Yavama who spits blood, it's a good chalitza because it's impossible that there isn't some saliva mixed into the blood, into the spit. They challenged us. Could you think that the blood that goes out of a Zav's mouth or his organ transmits to him? The Torah says, no, what flows from him is Tizav is And the blood that goes out from his mouth and his um, organ are not Tomei, rather than Tohor. Just a little bit of background. Azav, we know he is Tomei, he's an Ava Tomei, he has a certain type of uh, seminal discharge, that's a Zav. But so to his spit, and whatever we called Ma'ayonos, his Mayans, I things where the liquids gather in him, um, gather in him, and if they're not expelled, are reabsorbed into the body. So something like spit, urine, Semen, those things all transmit tumor like the Zav himself. So if the Zav spits onto the table and you touch it, you'd be as Tommy as if you touched the Zav himself. That's the halacha of spit. Blood is not like that because blood's not absorbed in the body. Blood flows through the body. Um, but we see that if a, if a Zav spits blood, what does Al-Gamoras, we said, oh, there must be spit mixed in and therefore it's a valid chalitza. But if then, why does the Brisa say regarding the Tumazad, say that if he splits blood, it doesn't make it Tomei? It should. You should say that the blood... Yeah, please. Please, thank you. Um, if you say that the blood is... Uh, Sorry? Oh, if you say that there's spit mixed into the blood of the Zav, then when he spits blood, it should also be Tomei. So Loikasha can be Moiseses, can be Shoshesses. No, the difference is, is he sucking the blood and spitting it? Like if he had blood on his tooth, like a bleeding tooth or bleeding gums, and he spits out, that's definitely going to happen. But if he gets an injury in his mouth and blood's dribbling out his mouth, uh, dripping out his mouth, that you can assume is pure blood. So again, it wouldn't work for Chalitza. Again, but there is no spitting action there. It wouldn't work for Chalitza. Um, but... Um, but it also wouldn't make someone Tomei. Now we're going on to the next part of the Mishnah. The next part of the Mishnah was a Cheresh and If you had a Cheresh, a deaf mute, who had Chalitza done to him. Oh, so your Vomu is fine, but he was a deaf mute. And then we also mentioned a Cheresh Shecholza. If a deaf mute, your Vomu was a deaf mute and she did Chalitza. And then we said Cholitza Slekatan. If someone did Chalitza to a Katan, Chalitza Sopsula, it's a Possel Chalitza. So Keresh Shenechla says, Omar Rabbi Yehuda, Omar Rav, Rabbi Yehuda is the name of Rav. Zudivrei Rabbi Meir, this is Rabbi Meir. But the fact that we're saying the chalitza of a katan does have some effect. Remember I said whenever we say chalitza psula, we mean it has some effect. It's not a good chalitza, but it's a, it's a 
it, it will puzzle the brothers. That's Rebbe Meir. Aval Chachamim Omrim ein chalitzas katan klum. The Chachamim say chalitza of the katan is nothing. This is all based on a sugya we had about uh, a week and a half ago. Yeah, um, it's totally a chalitza of a katan to a katan. Is nothing is, is absolutely nothing according to the Chalm. Okay, then we moved on to the next line of the Mishnah. That, so those were remember lumped together as three: the Cheresh, the Chareshes, and the Katan. Then the Mishnah taught as a separate point: Katana Shecholzo Tachlotz, a Katana that does Chalitza Tachlotz Mishet. Sorry, Tachlotz Mishet Tagdil Ve'im Loi Cholzo Chalitza Psula. Must redo Chalitza when she grows up. And if she does not, then it's invalid. So Omar Rabbi Yehuda, Omar Rabbi Rab, Yehuda said in the name of Rabbi Zud, Rabbi Meir, this is Rabbi Meir. To Omar, he says, oh, now the above distinction when we made, is the, sorry, before I go further, the above distinction we made between a katan cheresh and chareshes, the machlokes between Rabbi Meir and a rabbonon, chachomim, was only mid rabbonon, is it a chalitza psula? But everyone agrees, seems to agree, if I understood correctly, that Dorai said it's nothing. But now, regarding a katana, we're going to see it's actually a machlokas whether a chalitza with a katana is val- a good chalitza doraisa or is it just a chalitza psula. So, Omar Abu Omar Rabzu, Rabbi Meir, our Mishnah is Rabbi Meir to Omar Ishkos of the Parsha, Machin and Ishlisha. The Parsha says it must be a man, I an adult male, and we connect the woman to the man, and therefore it also has to be an adult female, and if it's not, it's invalid. Aval Chachomim, Omar Chachomim say Ishksiv the Parsha. Aval, Isha, Ben Gedola, Ben Katana. No, when the Torah emphasizes Isha, it's saying only the man, the Yavam, has to be an adult, but the Yavama can be an adult or a child. Um, and Tosfos say this is why this clause was taught separately. You expect it to teach Cheres, Cheres, Katana, and Katana, and then say the Halacha. But how did it teach? It taught the Mishnah taught, Cheresh Cheresh is Katan, and then as a Psula, and then as a new point, Katana. So Tosa say this is the reason it's taught independently, because uh, um, because it's actually a Machlokis in the Daraisa law there, so it had so it's, it's based on different principles. Okay, Man Chachomim, who is this Chachomim? Ah, it's Rebbe Yoisi here, it's Rebbe Yoisi, the, the Rebbe Chil. Now we're going to bring a whole story, and we'll see what Rebbe Yoisi holds in the story. Um, Rabbi Yossi, he, the Rabbi Chiv, Rabbi Shimon, Bar Rabbi Havu Yossi, Pasach Omer. Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, and Rabbi Chia were were sitting down and they were discussing. One of them said, "Ba'Omer Hamispalot Tzarishita and Einov Lemato Shenemar Bo'Yu Einai Belibi Shom Kolayomim." The one says, "When you're davening, you need to place your eyes downwards, as the pasuk says, my eyes and my heart will be there all my." Laugh. Omar of Lamala, and other one says, No, your eyes must be directed upwards. Shinemar says, No sol of El Kapayim. We raise our hearts in our hands, eye upwards. So Arahachi also Rabbi Ishmael bar Yoisi Lagavayu. In the interim, Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Rabbi Yoisi, came by them and Omar Luhu what are you discussing? So Omar Lai Betfila, we're discussing this concept of Tfila. How should, how should you direct your Tfila? So Omar Luhu, Kaf Omar Abba, says, my father says, Hamispalel Tzor, his father was the great Rabbi Yossi. He says, Hamispalel Tzor, Shiyitain, Ein of Lamata, Velibo Lamala. 
He says, no, you have to place your eyes below and your heart above in order that you fulfill both these psukim. The one possible that alludes to it must be their eye towards earth, towards the place Amigdash, and the other possible which alludes to up above. Now, two interesting ways of learning this. There's the Maharal's way, um, but just since we're running a little bit late, I'm just going to give the Maharal's way of learning. And he says, very interesting, he says, we're not discussing almost, obviously, physically how you stand, and this is brought in Shulchan Aruch, you stand straight and you tilt a little bit downwards and you must then be looking around. The Mishabura actually brings from certain spots where it says these people who look up when they dumb and like they look it up to Hashem, the angels laugh at him. And it's a silly act. There's no you know, you don't have to look up to look at Hashem. Um, you look but so you face a little bit down. So there, there are the halachas around this, but the Maral seems to be discussing more as a conceptually how do we view ourselves when we davening. So listen, each of these psukim represent two aspects. The one aspect is you're like a slave standing before your master. So it's a bit chutzpahdik to look straight ahead or look up. You don't look at your master. You, with humility and uh, reverence, you, you tilt downwards. Like when you're standing before a great, if you're standing before someone that you would be in awe of. That's the, that's the look down, because you're like a slave before your master. On the other hand, when you're down and you're pleading with Hashem for what you need, whether it's uh, financial, medical, Ka'ula, the Jews, the redemption, the gathering of the exiles, all these things you're pleading with Hashem for what you need. So if you picture that um, that posture, you're looking up at the person and begging them, like, like begging from them, pleading from them. So he says that that's another aspect of tefillah. And that's what we're discussing. And therefore, Rabbi Shimon says you actually have to try and have both aspects. So that's why when we're standing, we face a little bit down. And when we're... Uh, but our heart must be upwards. Our heart must be pleading, Hashem, this is what I need from you. So those are, I thought that's a beautiful explanation of this um, Gemara. Interesting, the halacha also, it's brought, I mean, when it's discussing there, ideally your eyes should be closed when you're done. You shouldn't be looking around at all. You shouldn't literally be looking anywhere. Your eyes should be closed. But obviously, if you're reading, they bring, if you're reading from a siddur, that's, that, and then your eyes can be open. But to look around while you're done is... Uh, Problematic. I guess that's more chutzpahdik than looking at your master when you're standing before him is to uh, look around and be distracted when you face before him. Um, so this is what it's based on. That if, is he speaking about davening? No, 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 no. Okay, but here, okay, so but here we see it specifically in regards to davening. Okay, let's carry on. So, so they, they were having this discussion. Arahachi also rebilemisbei. In the interim, so while they were having this discussion, Rebbe came to the yeshiva. Now, Inu, um, so Rebbe was going to give shoes, so everyone scrambles to find their places so that they can sit down. So Inu da Havikila, those who were quick, Yossi Bidultayu sat <coughs> in their regular places. Rebbe Shmobi, Rebbe Yossi, Agav Yukurayu, have a Mishav Ozel. Rebbe Yossi, who was uh, very, very heavy, the Gomorrah Baba's Mitzia discusses how overweight he was, but he had to walk slowly, so he's like busy uh, um, going slowly, plodding along to his seat. And Omalei Avdan, Avdan says, Mifsa al Am Kodosh. Who's this person with the chutzpah to trample on the heads of the holy nation? I've got to picture this. They would sit on the floor for share. So if you have someone walking along, squeezing between the rows of Talmudim, and it actually looks like he's walking on them. So it's quite a dis... Um, 
It's a degrading thing to put the Talmidim through, or the Talmidei Chachomim through, that you're walking over them. So Avdan stands up for their honor and says, Who's this guy? What does he think he's doing? So Amalei, Ani Yishmo Berebiyosi, Shebasi Limo Torah Mirebi. He says, I'm Rabbi Yishmo Berebiyosi, who's come to learn Torah from Rebi. Ay, there's a halacha in Horios that Talmidei, the sons of Talmidei Chachomim, are actually allowed to do this. It's almost their, their rights. They can, they are allowed to walk through the roads that it looks like they're walking on the Jewish people. But that, but I'm not arrogant. That's not even my motivation. It's not like I'm trying to show how great I am and how special my father was. I want to learn Torah from Rebbe. So, you think someone like you is deserving to learn Torah from Rebbe? We know Rebbe is the humblest of humble and you're acting with a little bit of arrogance. Who was Moshe worthy? You compare, you saying, I can't learn from Rebbe. Moshe Rabbeinu could learn from Hashem. Oh, so you think you're Moshe? What, you think your Rebbe, your, your teacher is God? Um... So that's uh, so, so, so he's saying I can learn from Rebbe, I'm deserving of it, and I want to learn Torah. Now, interesting enough, we're going to point out now, if you notice, what did he refer to Rebbe as? He says, Rabcha, your teacher. I'm not, uh, and, and we'll see, he's, uh, he's if not as, he's uh, not, uh, in the hierarchy, he's not a student of Rebbe, he's a colleague, if not an elder of that generation. So that's why he's saying, your Rebbe, I can come and learn Torah, I'm not bound by your Rebbe as as viewing him as my Rebbe. He's not. But I want to hear his share. So, Omar Rabbi Yosef, Shokla Rebbe, Lamit Rafasei, the Ka'amalei Rabcha Veloi Rebbe. By the fact that we see that Rebbe Yishmol, the Rebbe Yosi, referred to him as your teacher and not my teacher, Rebbe's actually going to be held accountable that he didn't stand up for Rebbe Yishmol's honor. Aye, that's what Rabbi Yosef's saying. So, not only now was I've done wrong in this uh, verbal uh, harassment of Rebbe Ishmael. But even Rebbe should have stood up and said, well, who do you think you are talking to Rebbe Ishmael like that? But he didn't, so, he's, so Rebbe Yosef says he's deserving of punishment. But Adahachi, I say, Yavoma Lekame the Rebbe. In the interim, while all this was going on, a Yavoma popped up before Rebbe. Oh, yeah, the Marshal and the, the commentaries point out that this was, uh, you know, what was their motivation, etc. Why was Abdam standing up for his... Uh, so particular about this, but let's uh, you know, let's let's go. It says, I see a coming to Rebbe. In the interim, a Yavoma came before Rebbe, and Amalei Rebbe Laavdan Poik Bodka says, Go check that she's an adult. I go get a birth certificate. Obviously, it means literally find out whether she has stays or oris. But go get a birth certificate. We want to find out if she's old enough to do chalitza. The boss says, I'm an offer. Amalei Rebbe Shmuel Kach Amar Abba. Um, after he left, after Abdan left, Rebbe Shmuel said, My father said, Ish Kosov Parsha Amal Ish. The Chumash says that it has to be a man. Either Yavom has to be an adult, but the, the Yavomo can be an adult or a child. So So he quickly called to Avdan and he said, Come back, come back, you don't have to go check the age as we have the Psak from this elder sage. But now, so we see, we see Rabbi Shmuel was on this high level that he wasn't a student of Rabbi. Rabbi even relied on him for the Halacha. And then the Gemara, so Kamafsa Avdan Vaisi, Amalei Rabbi Shmuel Berebi Yosi, Mi Tzarech Lola Am Kadosh Yifsa Roshe, Mi She Tzarech Lola Am Kadosh Yifsa Roshe Am Kadosh, Mi She Ain Tzarech Lola Am Kadosh Hech Yifsa Al Rosh Am Kadosh. Says Avdan, when Avdan now wanted to go back to his seat, so remember Rabbi had sent him on a mission, please go. 
things that I've done ran out the base Medish. Just before he got out, they said, wait, come back, come back. So now he wants to walk back. So Rabbi Yishmael says to him, who do you, only someone who the community is reliant on is allowed to walk between the rows that it looks like he's walking on the heads of the holy nation. Someone like you, who we don't need, can't. And Amalei Rebbe Avdam Kumbadufta. And Rebbe said to Avdam, yeah, you have to stay where you are. You have to stay, uh, take your seat where you, where you are. So, so only two of his sons died. and two of his daughters did Blessed is the Holy One who embarrassed Avdan in this world. Either that he receives his punishment in this world and not the next world. But they bring, why was Avdan punished so severely? So there are a few aspects. One is, he did on Nas Devorim. He teased and he mocked Rebbe Shmuel. He says, who do you think? Oh, you're great enough to learn like that. Do you think you're Moshe? Do you think, you know, he spoke to him uh, very um, insultingly and he upset him. So that's the Tzoraz comes for that. This he didn't show respect to Tamilei Chachomim and we know that someone who shows respect and covet to Tamilei Chachomim deserves sons. There's a bracha somewhere that if you show respect to Tamilei Chachomim you'll have male children. So he lost his male children. The Mion, I'm not sure of the connection. But Omar, so, but Omar, from Rebbe we learn that a katana can do chalitza, and what age is that? Pepu'utos. What's pepu'utos? There's exaggerated children under Barah Barmitzah shouldn't be allowed to trade or do any business because they can't affect the king and they don't have the correct task. There's exaggerated They know once they're about six or seven, then you allow them, they're allowed to do business because they have a basic understanding of what's going on. So he says, oh, that's the same age for a young, a man, a girl doing chalitza as long as she's six or seven. Rava Omar, and Rabbi says, no, until she reaches the age of Nadorim, taking a netter. Once a woman so, no, is 11, no, 11, once a woman reaches 11, then we take if she, obviously if she understands what she's saying with her nerer or hekdesh, we take it seriously. Younger than that, we don't. Um, interesting, I saw Archibald bring the Chois and Yeshua, who brings a beautiful explanation on what the Machnok is. Does she have to be 6 or 7? Or does she have to be 11? Well, two, again, two ages that we find in youngsters, but where they have more comprehension. So he says the one holds that what they need is she needs the kavona. We actually discussed this a few days ago. She needs the kavona to acquire herself back. I think it might have been Sunday. Me and you were discussing this. So that's from the age of Kinyanim. From a young age, she understands a little bit about you know business, what's mine, what's yours, buying and selling, etc. So she can acquire herself back. The other one holds no. She needs kavona for the mitzvah. She needs to know she's doing chalitza, which is a mitzvah, and that obviously requires um, a higher level of kavona, the age of Nutari. And the Gemara concludes, the Hilchasa Adje Tobi stays the Oros until she brings two hairs. Um, so she has to actually be an adult to do Chalitza. That's the Psak at the end of the day. Um, let's just quickly finish off the, the Amud. Cholza Bishnayim, what happens if you do Chalitza with two of them? So Omar Rabbi Yosef Bar Minyuni, Omar Rabbi Nachman, Ein Halacha Ka'oisazug. Rav Nachman said, Rav Yosef Ayrinuni said, never run off, the halacha is not like that zug. Oh, that zug said that you can't, remember the first opinion said you can't do chalitza with two dayonim or even three dayonim if one of them is possible. Because then you only have two dayonim. Comes along, the next pair was uh, Rav Yosef and Rav Shimon Asandl, I think it was. I don't remember exactly. And said that, um, no, you can do chalitza with two people. So they said in the name of Rav Nachman, the halacha is not like that zug. He says, well, But we saw Rav Nachman already told us this halacha. At the beginning of the parakel, he said, you need to do chalitza with three people. 
You need three Dayanim. So we already know from Rav Nachman that you have to do Khalitza with three people. Why does Rav Nachman have to teach us again here that no, this opinion that says you can do Khalitza with two people is invalid? So he says, no, to eat, because if we would have said this first halacha, I would have said this is all the khatkhila. But even if you just have two, Sorry, even, yeah, sorry, if, even if you have two, it's kosher kamash malan, ain't halacha ka'isuzuk, the halacha is not like them. No, you cannot even b'diyevet do a chalit with them. Ah, b'yishmen and halacha ka'isuzuk, ele katana kama, have a minute, yevet. If it would have said the halacha is not like that pair, I that you can't use two, but you need three, I would have thought that is only b'diyevet. Alachachil, liboy chamisha, maybe you need five. Remember at the beginning of the parak it said there was the machlokis, do you need three or five? They don't. So he says, maybe it's a tricha, therefore we need both of them. Ah, we need both these teachers of Ranachman, do you know that? Lechatchila, you need three, and any, you don't need more than that. And Biryabed, any less than that would be, even Biryabed, would be invalid. So you have to have three Dayonim. We also learned the other day that, I, however, you should have another two men, not as officials, but to make it public, to help publicize it. But regarding the Dayonim, you only need job. And then Masa Shechol, the case of Rabbi Akiva, um, remember, Rabbi Akiva permitted, you had a man and a woman who came before him and said, we did chalitza in jail, no one saw us. And he said, it's a valid chalitza. He says, don't you need testimony? We need aidos, we need proof that they did chalitza. There's a general rule by all dine erva, things to do with marriage, that you need two witnesses. If you think about it, if a man and a woman come and say, yeah, we got married on that remote island, and the man admits it, and the woman admits it, why can't they be married? No, anything, call Dovashiv ever, um, what's the exact phrase? Um, you can't ever have less than two witnesses. So we need at least two witnesses. For it to be a valid chalitza, we need at least two witnesses. Never mind, if, even if Rabbi Akiva holds, you don't need officials or anything, you at least need witnesses. So he says, um, cases, yeah, did see them. The emphasis is there's no officials, but there were Aidim who saw the chalitza take place. They asked, wait, what exactly happened here? What's the case there were these two people who did chalitza outside and they came and asked Rabbi Akiva while Rabbi Akiva was in jail? Remember, Rabbi Akiva was in jail by the Romans for teaching Torah. So was that the case? Or was the case that these two people were in jail when they did chalitza? What's the exact case? says, um, Rav Yehuda says in the name of Rav, they were in jail, where they did the Chalitza, and someone standing outside, two witnesses saw them do the Chalitza, and when they went to check with Rabbi Akiva, this is a valid thing, they went to Rabbi Akiva in jail. Tosas discuss how could they actually go into... Get, the, Rabbi Akiva was in jail for learning Torah, so how are they going to go into jail and ask him a halachic question? So he says, no, they stood outside and they used a little bit of code. Um, I, I don't, I, I think you just need Dayanim. I don't know if, I think they would count as the witnesses as well. Uh, so, so the toss is going to that in bit, but let's leave it here for today. We'll try to finish the parrot tomorrow. Okay, have a yeah. good day.